This will be the introduction to the book of Malachi. Malachi, of course, is the last of the minor prophets. I hope as we've went through the minor prophets, it's been, I meant to look that up, it's been over a year now since we've been in the minor prophets, and I hope that we've realized that they're minor only because of the size of the books, not because of the information contained within the books. I've been amazed several times as we've studied and as, as I looked into the books of uh, the minor prophets at some of the things that were being said. It, it amazes me that it's in the, in the Jewish canon of Scripture. That if I was a practicing Jew and I read through the minor prophets, I don't know how you could get through them without accepting Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah. It, it's amazing to me. As we get into this last book of uh, the uh, Old Testament, uh, there's been about 2,000 years that have passed since Abraham and the promises of the coming Messiah that's, uh, that's been prophesied throughout all that time and all the prophecies that were given and uh, all this time and just all these things that were pointing up to that. And then when we see the person of Jesus Christ come on the scene, it, it's amazing to me how you could read these books and still reject Christ. Uh, of course, it just speaks to religion. It, it speaks to having a earthly knowledge and wisdom, but not having the Spirit of God to reveal the truth to us. And, and this is what's important for us to understand and know the truth of the Word of God, understand and know what God says in His Word, and allow the Holy Spirit to come into our lives to illuminate us to that truth, to enlighten us to what, the, what God wants us to know and what He wants to reveal to us through the Word. And, you know, we can't learn the things of God solely on an intellectual level. It takes the Spirit of God to reveal that truth to us. And yes, on an intellectual level, we can grow in our knowledge, but at the same time, it, it takes that, that companionship and that working together with the Holy Spirit. You know, so the Holy Spirit doesn't just magically give us all the information. He still wants us to study to show ourselves approved, as of course the book of Timothy tells us. But at the same time, it's God that is revealing His Word in us. So, Let's just read a couple of the verses uh, tonight, just starting out with two verses. I want to, uh, to go in chapter 1 of Malachi, verse 1 and 2, and it just kind of, it, it will tell us a whole lot about the scripture. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I love Jacob. We're going to see as we go through that the theme of this book and the theme of, in fact, the entire scripture, the all the minor prophets, the other books, is God's love toward man. We're going to find out that that is one of the great motivating factors of, of uh, the word of God and his dealing with mankind. But the word of God, or the, the book of Malachi opens up by telling us who it is that is the writer, the original presenter of this word. It tells us uh, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. You know, so it's identifying him here as the messenger or the prophet of God. You know, many times we've talked about in these studies that the author is God. God is the one that gives the word, but he elects to minister through different people. And he elects to minister through Malachi. Now, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21 tells us, For the prophecy came not in old times by the will of man, but holy men as of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit would move in different individuals and allow them to write down what he wanted them to. Now, he would allow each individual to put his unique thumbprint on it. 
If you listen to a message that I preach, hopefully through the power of God, and you listen to a message that Brother David preaches through the power of God, they are still they are directed from God's throne and what he would have us to preach, but yet you will still see a difference in their style of preaching. God allowed the men who wrote the Bible to express their own ability or their own uh, signature, if you will, in their writing. And Malachi's writing is different from other people's writings. There's some things that he does and some techniques that he uses that becomes very prominent in the New Testament and in Judaism in the way that they would write and the way that they would pen some arguments. So uh, this is an encouraging word for us to understand and know anybody who has ever shared the word of God, whether you've been a, a, a pastor uh, like me and Brother David, or if you've just been a teacher to uh, children in Sunday school or vacation Bible school, or as Brother Mike and some others handing out tracts on the street, that the word of God is not our word. It is God's word. We are his ambassadors. We're taking his word out to a lost and dying world. That we are not the one that sets the standards. We're not the one that made the, the word of God say what it says. God's word uh, stands on its own. We are just simply carrying that word out, taking it someplace else. The name Malachi actually comes from that. It means uh, to dispatch as a deputy, a messenger, or an ambassador. In fact, the same name is oftentimes translated in the Old Testament as, well, let me ask you, what would you say? If I say that the, uh, the same word is used for the word messenger, anybody remember what the word messenger means? What was that? Angel. So it's the same word that is used for angel in the Old Testament in different places. It's actually a an abbreviated name. They think that Malachi's name was probably a little bit longer than this, not much longer. Malachias with an A-S on the end, uh, would have been the proper name that he would have used. It would have meant basically the same thing. It would have changed it a little bit to mean my messenger instead of simply just messenger. But this is what his name means. So he comes, and it's almost a picture. We see this a lot of times in the Old Testament and even sometimes in the New Testament where the name kind of lends itself to what this person is going to do. So Malachi comes as a messenger of God to deliver this message to the nation of Israel. We don't know a great deal about Malachi, who he was, other than what the book of Malachi tells us. You know, some other books we have a lot of information on individuals, a great deal of detail, but the book of Malachi really doesn't give us a whole lot. Now, if you read Josephus or if you read some other Jewish writing, they kind of indicate that Malachi may have come from a Levitical lineage, which means that he was of the priestly order which means that he was probably kin to Ezra in some way or that he had that down. But we don't really know that for sure. Uh, they think that he probably worked in the temple alongside of Ezra, uh, but there's really no evidence to support that. But what we do know is that in his writing that he is an exceptional writer, that he has a very unique way of writing. In fact, as I was reading through several different commentaries in the past week, one of the things that I come across is he's considered the... Well, I've got to be careful here... Uh, the Socrates of the prophets. Uh, I don't know, some of you will know what I'm talking about here because I started to say the Socrates of the minor prophets. But now, the Socrates of the prophets, he uses a method of teaching that is called, um, find my place here again, um, investigation through discussion and reasoning. He will pose a question 
And then he will answer that question in the most logical way. And then he will use that to kind of point out the problem with that. We ever do that or we ever see that in the New Testament. Paul does that a lot. He'll ask what we would call a rhetorical question that really doesn't need any answer because the answer is pretty obvious. I heard a guy one time say, can I ask you a rhetorical question? And I thought to myself, mm, should I answer him? You know, because a rhetorical question, it doesn't need an answer. We, we know what it does. So when he asks these questions, he's asking it in a way to where we know what the answer is before he actually says it. But then as he answers it, then it reveals to us the foolishness of that reasoning. And, and, and it kind of goes to that to support it. And he, he will ask several questions in this book. Some of the main things that he'll touch in uh, are going to be areas that, well, uh, are going to, well, Brother Joe, I, I met with him last night, and his, uh, one of his former pastors was there, and we just kind of talked a little bit. And he said his uh, former pastor would say, now, guys, hold on. I'm going to plow, uh, plow close to the corn tonight. You know, and uh, I had never heard that phrase before. How many had heard that phrase? Anybody? But I knew instantly what he meant by that because sometimes we get a little bit close. Malachi, through asking these questions, he's going to plow pretty close to the corn. He's going to get right up on the issue of the day, and he's going to kind of uh, pose some of those questions that's going to cause some issues. So this style of writing that really we see for some of the first times appearing with Malachi, it becomes a very prominent style of writing with Jewish writers as, they, as history goes on into the New Testament. Like I said, uh, Paul used this method a lot. Even Jesus used this rhetorical message, uh, method from time to time to ask a question that was somewhat rhetorical that they didn't need to answer, but the very answer showed how foolish they were being in, in what they were doing. So uh, it's uh, interesting thing that we see here his time malachi doesn't mention any kings or governors like some of the other books so we can't say for certain what time this was but he does mention other people and he gives us some other clues in the writing to kind of indicate when he was writing this we know that it was after the exile we know that the temple had already been set up and they had been Worshiping chapter 1 and verse 7, uh, chapter 3, verse 10, uh, lets us know that the uh, temple was complete and being used and uh, at least long enough to get a little bit stale in the worship. And it's a shame to say that, but honestly, don't we all do that sometimes? If we are with something long enough that it starts to lose a little bit of its luster, how many of us have ever bought the new car? Or even a new used car. Most of us in here have probably had new used cars. New to us. And we don't smoke in them. We don't eat in them. We don't drink in them. We don't do any of those things in them. And then after a couple months and go through McDonald's drive-thru and you spill the bag of fries between the seats and you fish as many as you can out and ah, I'll get the rest later. You know, I mean, seriously, we, we do that because it loses some of its luster. We wash it and we wax it the first weekend and then after a month you're like, or after a year or two, it's like, ah. It's going to rain next week. I'll wait for the rain to wash it off. You know, sometimes you can go through my truck and just write your name anywhere on it. It's actually blue. I'm not sure if y'all knew that or not. It, sometimes it looks a little bit different. But nonetheless, uh, so we know that they had been serving in the temple for a period of time. Uh, the word that he, Malachi uses here for governor, as we see in, other, in places, he uses the Persian word, governor. And that kind of indicates that the, there was still Persian rule in the land, that the, the Persians were still in control and they were the ones that were setting up the governor. Um, 
his message that he preaches is very similar to the same message that Nehemiah preached. Uh, he touched some of those same subjects. And that kind of suggests that they were using one another as springboards. Once again, this was the message of God. But one of the things that's amazed me in ministry, and this is something that I've, I've always loved, and Brother David can probably attest to this as well, that there's been often times that I've went somewhere and I've preached, and then the people said, well, you preached a very similar message to the last person that was here. Or the pastor would come up to me and say, well, you know, that's the, that's the same message I've been working on to preach. The, 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 ever happened to you, Brother David? And, and it seems like that oftentimes the Lord lays on our heart the same message. Kim, one time, she come to my salvation in uh, school. We had Brother Eugene Tarter. Brother Tarter was a one of the uh, teachers at seminary, a good man. I, I always enjoyed Brother Tarter. He had a long, drawn-out southern accent. And sometimes in class, he would just do away with the curriculum and just start talking and asking questions. And I was uh, not pastoring anywhere at the time, and he asked me about preaching. He would always ask the young minister, uh, the pastoral uh, students, if they preached anywhere the weekend. And I said, yes, sir, I preached two times. I preached, you know, Sunday morning at such-and-such church and Sunday night at such-and-such church. And he's like, well, that's, that's uh, really good. And then he looked at Kim, and he said, Sister Kim, did he preach the same message at both churches? And uh, she was able to say, no, sir, he preached a different message at each one of them. You know, two churches, they needed to hear something different. Now, I'm not opposed to preaching the same message, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, if we're listening to the word of God, if we're listening to God direct us, we should be preaching very similar themes that other people are saying. A lot of times in preaching, you will hear the same thing out in the world. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll fight this situation or we'll be troubled with this event or something will be happening here and then it will all come together and we will we'll realize that you know God is trying to minister to us. So uh, that's no real evidence that they were of the same time, but yet they were still preaching some of those same themes, some of those same messages. If we look at it all together, most commentators will put the writing about 435 to 425 B.C., so about 400 years before we see the coming of Christ. And then after that, of course, that's why we talk about the 400 years of silence between the uh, last of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. Are there any questions or comments thus far? Like I said, tonight we're just trying to do an introduction, get a little bit of uh, information about who he is and some of the different things and just kind of uh, get us lined back up. Yes, sir. I know it's going a little bit forward, but the next verse that I hated Esau, is that because he didn't believe or? Well, we see the same thing in the book of Romans, and we'll talk more about that next week because that's a big subject. People will look at that and they take it out of context. Now, when we talk about hating Esau, this is why it's important for us in today's time we have the opportunity to go back to the original language and look at what was being said. I don't like to say, well, what he really meant to say was this. But when we look at it in the same uh, in the context of what it was writing, it's I have loved less. Not necessarily I have hated in the way that we understand what hate means, but I have loved less. And what we'll see is the choosing of God by, uh, or choosing of Jacob by God, uh, laying that, that lineage on him is not necessarily a, casting down or casting out of Esau. Esau still had the opportunity to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and accept the plan of God in his life. So 
you know, when we look at that, we, we need to be real cautious and go through it very slow, dissect the words, and, and understand the, the intent of what was being said here. And like I said, I don't like to do that a lot of times as far as saying, well, what he really means here. But we really do want to look and see what was being said here as far as God hating Esau. Because if, if we say that God hated anybody, doesn't that throw some problems up in our theology? In fact, we started out here by saying that God is love. In fact, I, before I finish tonight, you know, one of the main themes that we'll see is God's dealing with people is through that love. And that's really what we want to investigate is that it's more that calling on his life. Well, I guess it's just saying that he chose Jacob over Esau. And that's really where the intent comes. You know, you can only choose to go one path. You know, he couldn't, I, I hate to say that he couldn't, but he chose to go through Jacob. He go, chose to go through Abraham. He chose to take the lineage through the way the lineage goes into Christ. He chose me as pastor. He couldn't choose every single person as pastor. That doesn't make my calling less or greater than anyone else's. But he, he just it's showing that he has different choices or different uh, places of service for all of us. And, Brother David, are you wanting to say something? Could I say something? Yes, sir. <coughs> that, that is what the Apostle Paul put it in Romans. Mm -hmm. Another problem that we have when we, when we start to understand the intent of that, it's like looking at two vessels that are used for the temple. If you have two bowls, and make them out of any material that you want to, and you take one bowl that is a bowl of honor and one bowl that is a bowl of dishonor, and say you take the bowl of honor that you bring the stuff into the house with that the people in the house are going to consume, and the bowl of dishonor is the bowl that you wash the dishes in, and that water is going to be cast out. Is there anything really significantly different about the bowls? No, it's about the use and, and the purpose of those bowls. And like I said, that's really falls short of the intent of what between Jacob and Esau. But Jacob was the one that he chose to go through that lineage for Messiah and to reveal himself to the uh, to the world. So. And, It's not, it's not really even on the subject of God's love, but on the way he chooses to use people and the way he chooses to minister through. So, yep. But we, we will touch on that a lot more next week, and I'll have some more notes and stuff for that. So, Any other questions or comments? Okay, we'll move on to the message of Malachi. And uh, as I pointed out, you know, what we really want to focus on here is the uh, the intent or the the motivation behind behind God doing His work here, and in verse two says, "I have loved you, saith the Lord." You know, God's motivation to Israel is in love. You know, God's motivation uh, today into the world is through love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. We see God expresses Himself. 
through love in multiple levels. And yet there's a time of coming judgment. And there's a time that God's wrath will be poured out upon sin. And all unanswered sin or all unatoned sin, uh, which means people who have rejected Jesus Christ, is going to answer the wrath of God. So if a person doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, the wrath of God still abides upon them, according to the Scripture. So there's a time coming, but right now, as it stands, God's primary method or motivation for dealing with mankind is love. And for the nation of Israel, that love had been drawing them back to a proper relationship. It was that love that allowed him to withdraw his presence, to allow tribulation to come in and to uh, uh, straighten them up. You know, John, our first John chapter 4 and verse 8 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Sometimes we wonder why we go through tough times. If God's love, why do we go through hardships? Why do we go through pain and suffering? And sometimes, well, it's because we bring it on ourselves. Sometimes we just mess up and God withdraws his presence or he disciplines his children according to Hebrews chapter 12. And once again, the motivation there is his love. It's in order to make us partakers of his righteousness. It's allowing him to uh, uh, treat us as his children. Sometimes we're allowed to go through tribulation because God's love is preparing us for ministry. That's what uh, the book of James says, that these trials and tribulations lead us to uh, patience and makes us perfect, wanting nothing, that we will be perfect and entire. You know, it, we're going to be made more useful to ministry. Sometimes we go through trials because God's love is preparing something for someone else. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I think it is, talks about how the God of all comfort who comforts us in time of our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort others during the time of their tribulation, that we can go with the same thing that we've went through to someone else and say, listen, this is how God helped me. And if God can help me, I know that he can help you. So sometimes we're allowed to go through it so we can minister to others and it's motivated by God's love. You know, sometimes we go through three things because God's love is preparing for the future. And we may never even know why we had to go through it. It may never be revealed to us. You think about the book of Job and all that Job went through. Now, we have the privilege of reading the book of Job from the outside. And we see the first couple chapters as Satan and God have this dialogue between them. And, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? how he is faithful, and, and Satan goes to him. And at the end, and, and throughout the book, God is called into question. His, uh, his friends call him into question, and finally Job is asking questions as well. And finally God rebukes Job in chapter 39. He's like, where were you when I was fashioning the stars? Where were you when I was making the earth? Who are you to question me, basically? And God restores him, but something you'll find missing from the book of Job is any explanation or reason to Job why he went through what he went through. But yet the book of Job, according to chapter 19, uh, Job says, Oh, that my words were written with pen and iron and stone, and that they would be sealed forever where people could re always read them. How many people have sat down in a hospital, at a nursing home, at home, opened up the book of Job and got comfort from the words of Job because of the faithfulness of God? Yet Job here on earth never knew what his suffering led to. And a lot of times it's just because the, the love of God is allowing us to go through these for the plan and the purpose of God. Any questions or comments on God's motivation?
There are several ways that we could divide up the book of Malachi. Uh, there are six different ways, a couple of different times I put down here for you, that we could uh, divide it. There are six different disputes that Malachi will address, and then a final warning. He's going to a dispute that they have concerning God's love. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, you know, what is true love? What does it mean to love uh, about God's honor? In chapter 1, verse uh, 6 through chapter 2, verse 9, about God's faithfulness. I put all these down there, didn't I? Just to make sure. About God's, uh, or about questioning God, a plea to prepare for the day of the Lord. You know, so these are ways that uh, we could we can look at these. There's some of the answers that we're going to find or that uh, Malachi is trying to bring to the attention of the nation of Israel. One of the things that I think is very powerful, sometimes silence is very loud. Amen, husbands? <laughs> I say husbands probably know this better than the, I don't know. I'll get myself in trouble. But sometimes just that silence can be very deafening. You know, we, we just... We're allowed to think about it. We're allowed to meditate on it. And these words are going to close the canon of the Old Testament. 400 years of silence. And these are some of the last words that the nation of Israel is going to hear from God. That they're going to be echoing through the 400 years. And they're going to continue to hear these. So it's a very powerful message that Malachi is preaching here. You know, the question that he's going to focus on is to focus on the truth. And that's what he's wanting to bring them to. Who truly is God? What is love? What does it mean to honor God? What is it to lift him up and esteem him as father? In fact, Job's going to ask those very questions. He's going to pose the question, God is speaking, if I'm your father, then where's my honor? If I'm your father and we're all in this covenant together, why aren't you obeying the covenant? Um, Jesus asked a similar question in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? This is the same thing that uh, Malachi is asking here. You, you say that I'm your father. You say that I'm a, your Lord. Well, where is the honor? Where is the reverence that you would give to a father or to the Lord? And they're going to have to ask that. You know, do we not all have one father? You know, why are we not... Uh, keeping the covenant of the Father. He is going to address questions concerning the practice of the nation of Israel. At this point in time, they had adopted the practice of divorcing their wives, their Jewish wives, the wives of their youth, in order to marry uh, the heathen women or the Gentile women, and, and worse yet, taking on their religion as themselves. So he's going to address this in no uncertain way. In chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, uh, he basically says, I hate divorce. I want to deal with this situation. Why are you divorcing your, your wives for this? It's not in God's will. If you're going to keep my covenant, why aren't you keeping my covenant? He's going to ask a question, will a man rob God? You know, how many people would actually say, yes, you know, we rob God. But yet the same rhetorical style, he's going to lead to them to reveal the way that they've been stealing from God, that they've been taking from him what's due his very nature. And uh, Malachi, through his willingness to preach to them and to lay out this argument is going to make the sins of the nation of Israel very clear to them. There's another way that we could say it. Uh, I put down the sins of the people as revealed and uh, repudiating God's love or rejecting it, uh, refusing God's uh, his due honor, rejecting God's faithfulness, redefining God's righteousness. That's a very powerful and dangerous one, I think. 
one of the things that we see at the end of the book of Job. That the reason that God got mad at Job's friend is because they didn't rightly reveal him. Or they didn't, they didn't speak the things that were true of God. Uh, they were robbing God of his riches and reviling God's grace. So th these are all things that uh, Malachi is going to touch on. So as I said, he's going to plow pretty close to the corn here. And then for uh, 2,000 years since Abraham and the prophecies have been given, the nation's still waiting for Messiah. Now you can almost understand their expectations. How many of us, now let, let's just bring it back to us today, okay? How many of us are anxiously anticipating the second coming of Christ? Amen? Why? Why do we anticipate? Is there any evidence today to support that the second coming of Christ is near? Yeah. I mean, we turn on the news. All you have to do is watch the news, and it seems like there's evidence all over. It's amazing how we can read through the scripture, turn on the news. It's amazing to me that people don't see it because it seems like that we're right here on the threshold. It seems like that, you know, just at any moment in time, that we could see these things all come to pass and the scripture be fulfilled and ready for a second coming. Well, take ourselves back to the days of Malachi. The temple's rebuilt. They've reestablished worship there. They're allowed to give their sacrifices. They're allowed to serve and worship in the way that they want to. They already have the promises of Messiah. So many times in the other minor prophets, they said that God will fill this temple yet once again. So now they're pretty anxious for it. But Malachi is going to come in and kind of throw a wrench into the whole system and say, they're not ready for it. There's still sin that's persistent. There's still problems. There's still areas that we need to approach or to deal with. There's still sin in the camp that needs to be get dealt with and got out. And then silence. 400 years. Now, do I believe that God never spoke for 400 years? I, I really don't. We don't have any canon of scripture recording the, the message of God. But there was still preaching. There was still people that were being saved. There was still people that was coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. That was accepting the promise of God during that period of time. I believe that there was still faithfulness among some. Just like there is today. There's, there's still the power of God in movement today. Even though we're not writing any new scripture, there's nothing new being revealed to us, yet there's still people being spoke to by God. They're being drawn into that relationship. God is still moving in lives. And I think that there was some of that, but as far as the national acknowledgement or the national message that came through a prophet, this was it. After this, 400 years of silence until we get to the New Testament. Now, here's the sad thing. If you are a practicing Jew, it wasn't 400 years of silence. It's been 2,400 years of silence. Right? If we reject Jesus as Messiah, we reject the New Testament canon, then they are still living under that silence. And it's just, it, to me, it's very sad. Uh, anybody, without turning to it, remember what the last word of Malachi is? We've mentioned it a couple of different times. The last word of the New Testament. Anybody got an idea of what it might be? Amen. That's the last word of the New Testament. Huh? Curse. The last word is curse. And I think because during the Old Testament they were still living under that. 
That's a very horrible thing to think that they would allow it to go 400 years without seeing a great revival and then allowing another 2,000 years to go through. So that'll kind of get us started into it. Next week, we'll start out in Malachi chapter 1. Are there any questions or comments tonight?